I would like to welcome you to Dynamic Web Church today. Today is just going to be another extension on the message of grace in the book of James. I'm so excited to just share this with you. I know this is going to bless you. We're going to touch a little bit on James chapter 3 again and then we go over into James chapter 4. What a blessing. As I've been studying this in this week, it has really um, just encouraged me again as I just read through it, as I just saw more of the grace of God. That's why I want to um, go back to chapter 3 and just uh, lift up a bit more that I saw in that chapter. So, I want to just also welcome everybody that's been watching Web Church for the very first time. Uh, I want to welcome the whole Web Church. Everybody, you are absolutely welcome today. You are special. You are special to me. You are special to God. It's wonderful for me to think that we can be ministering this gospel all over the world. That there are people all over the world that are interested in watching this. I would like to encourage you to just relax and enjoy what we're going to do today. If you've got any questions concerning Web Church, any questions about what I ministered, please be open, feel free, write to us, and um, I'll answer your question uh, to the best of my ability, share the grace of God with you to the best of my ability. So, do that. Feel free. If you want prayer, if you want um, encourage, encouragement, anything, please contact us. Um, via internet, email or phone us just as you feel we've got all the information on our website make use of that we would love to share this gospel of love with you on a one-to-one basis as well so open your heart to do that if you don't sit at home struggling don't know how to get through the thing maybe you hear this message of grace you don't know how to apply it in your life you are more than welcome to contact us we will be more than willing to help you And uh, man, I'm excited to share with you. We're going to talk a little bit about finances and then we're going to get right into the Word of God. But just welcome to everybody once again. Enjoy the worship. We're going to have those four worship songs. It's wonderful songs. Elise has made this for us. Um, She's put the, 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 the pictures and the words and everything with it. And it's really inspired. The other day I said to her, it blesses me to see just the way it's done. Just by looking at it, it already touches one's heart. So let this music touch your heart. Well, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're a good God and that we can worship the Father because of what you've done. Amen. You know, I was just um, thinking of this scripture and I would like to read this. And it's so good. You know, we are putting the Bible school into Afrikaans and uh, yesterday I did the first ten sessions into Afrikaans and uh, I had to read this. This was part of, of, of the translation of translating it, and I want to just read this to you again. It says here, The husband provides leadership to his wife, the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Now, this is in Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 23, 24, round about there. So it says, Husbands, or the husband provides leadership to his wife, the way Christ provides for the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So the leadership that Jesus Christ provides for us is a leadership that is from a platform or a foundation of cherishing. So, um, yes, <clears throat> it's not about um, we must this, this whole God dominating you, you shall do this and you shall do that. Because we all know that in a relationship where people cherish each other, we find that love flows and commitment flows and all those type of things that are good. So all the good things that we have flows out of who God is and how He deals with us. And um, the plan that, that I believe Satan has is to come and mix that up 
with the law to get an, so that we can get an idea of God that He's not a God that cherishes us but that He dominates us. Because in the measure that you're going to experience God as a dominating God, a God that says you shall do this and if you don't do this then I cannot love you and I cannot bless you and you're in my bad books for a week or two. The, the moment we start to think that about God, we take away um, the, the power that causes us to live in victory. That's it. That's why, um, you know, we, I, I believe we need, us, we need to make a great effort to, to be in a place where we can see God as a God that cherishes us, loves us. And when we study the scriptures, we study it from the perspective that we want to see it that way. We, stu- we study it with an uh, agenda. It's um, like on the, on, my, on the website, not, not on my website, on, I think it was um, on GodTube. I've uploaded uh, a piece where I speak about finances and where I speak about the, the Hebrew interpretation of, of words. And the one guy said, but this man interprets these words with a preconceived idea or with an agenda. He wants to see certain things in it. But that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. We must interpret Scripture and we must read the Scripture with an agenda. And that is to see the love of God, to see Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the Word. And if I go and I read the Scriptures with a purpose to see Jesus, then I will, then I will read the Word of God and I will experience the Word of God and I will see the power of God. But there are people like the Pharisees, they read the Scriptures to get wisdom on what they must do to be saved. And, and then when Jesus was standing right in front of them, they could not see Jesus because they didn't read it with an agenda. So we read the Bible with an agenda as long as what the agenda is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We want to see Jesus in every Hebrew character. We want to see Jesus in every Hebrew word. We want to see Jesus in every scripture. We want to see His message of love that is not um, mocked by domineering but by cherishing. That's what we want to see. Amen. So, just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Then husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. Now, I'm not going to go deeper into this verse. This is just what I want to say. The love of God is marked with giving and not getting. That is the love of God. That's the love that God has for you. It's marked with giving and not getting. And if we get into finances and talk a little bit about finances from that perspective, if we go and study the Word of God and we know that the love of God is, a, is not selfish, then and the love of God is not about what you can get out of it, but what you can give. If we read the Bible concerning finances from that perspective, how can we ever get to a place where we interpret the Scripture that says, if you don't give to God, then God cannot give to you. If you don't give to Him, He cannot bless you. You're not opening the heavens over you because your giving gets God to give to you. How can you get... You know, even if there's a scripture that looks like that, even if there's a scripture that says that, then we must go and take the perspective of Jesus Christ and interpret it into that scripture so that we can, um, with the agenda we have to see Jesus in it, can see Christ in it because Jesus is the Word of God. If we interpret the scripture from the perspective that we say we're going to see Jesus and I will see Jesus in the scriptures. When we see Jesus Christ in the scriptures, we see the true Word of God and the Bible says that God's Word is the power of God unto salvation 
that will save you, that will give you life, that will give you peace, that will give you joy, and that will bring the powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit, manifesting what Jesus has done for you in your life today. Hallelujah. That is what the Word of God is all about. So, when it comes to finances, people, we, we must realize the doctrine that we listen to, the doctrine that we preach, the doctrine that we part of, must always be a doctrine that promotes the love of God. If it does not promote the love of God, we're not going to walk in the power of God, we're not going to experience the fulfillment that comes from the love of God, and we will then try to do things to experience the fulfillment that only love can bring. The Bible says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. If we take that scripture and apply it to finances, we say, herein is the love of God. Not that we give to God, but He gave to us and gave His Son as the sacrifice for our sins when it comes to finances, so that we can be saved by just believing in Him. Hallelujah. Why can't we preach the gospel in finances? Why can't we preach the gospel in every area of life? The gospel... The simple message that says, He was a sacrifice for my sin, is not just applicable for us to go to heaven one day. That is the foundation from where we live. The Bible says, those that does the law will live by the law. But those who believe shall live by faith. So our, our whole life will be based on faith. And what is faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What is the word of God? The word of God is simple. The word of God is Jesus Christ became a human being. He obeyed on our behalf, He died on our behalf, He was resurrected on our behalf, and He seated at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. And whosoever believes in that is born of God. So if we as, as righteous people live by faith, it means that every area of our lives, we're going to apply faith. We cannot apply work somewhere. Those that live by the law, or those that want to do the law, will live by the law. That means you will do the right things and you'll be blessed out of that. And your life will consist out of what you must do and what you shouldn't do. But those who live by faith, the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. That live does not just talk about life one day. It talks about life in this world. Our whole life will be from the platform of faith, which is a persuasion of what Christ has done. So if you are not, when it comes to your finances, if you're not in a place where you say that... um, I see what Christ has done for me concerning my finances, free from my works. You are not in faith concerning your money. You are in unbelief. Unbelief is saying, well, I believe that if I do things, then God will bless me. That's unbelief. So many times we don't see it that way. We must realize that the Pharisees also believed something. But they had unbelief. Um... The, the, they believed that you have to do certain things. They had a belief, and it's like my one friend says, it's, but it was un. It was not a good belief. It was a wrong belief. So many times when it comes to money, we've got unbelief, a wrong belief concerning it. Now, as righteous people, we shall live by faith when it comes to our finances. So, the way we live in our finances is by believing what Jesus Christ has done for us, in His obedience, His death and resurrection, and we see it today. As blessed as what He is today, that's how blessed we can be. And that's what Paul says in um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, My God shall meet all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know, so many people say, but that scripture was written to people that gave. So, uh, that means that 
uh, we can, we, if, if we want to interpret the scripture that way, then we must live exactly as those people have lived, and we cannot interpret the scripture in, to any other people. Now, I do believe that that scripture is given to everybody that is in Jesus Christ. And it is explaining the principle of provision for people. It doesn't say God will only meet your needs. It will say God will meet your needs according to His riches and glory, giving them peace of mind, giving them rest, of, rest in their mind, because they did give away uh, a lot to Paul. And then they might be worried about where will we get these things. Just don't worry. God meets your needs, not in accordance to your giving, not in accordance to what you've done, not in accordance to your tithing, but in accordance to His riches, which is in glory. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says, first seek His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Don't seek your righteousness when it comes to finances. My right that I have because of what I've done. No, seek His righteousness, the right that Jesus has to be blessed. Identify yourself fully with Him. Like Paul says in the message translation, he says, I fully identify myself with Christ. Fully identify yourself with Christ and you'll experience the peace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I would just like to thank everybody that supports this ministry. Um, you know, people that pay money into our bank accounts in South Africa, they just go to the bank and pay in money. People that do it uh, via the internet and, and via the website under the donate button. Thank you for everybody that's done that so faithfully. God bless you. We use that money to preach the gospel. Amen. And that's awesome. And it's wonderful to know that you are part of this. And I want to say this to you. Um, you might have been giving 50 rand. It doesn't matter how much you've given. Don't think that God's going to meet your need in accordance to what you've done. He meets your need in accordance to what Jesus Christ has done and believe that. Hallelujah. Amen. And we might have a need to give. And that's what I see, you know, in my life. There's a time when I just feel, man, I want to give to this God. There's a need in my heart to give. Then I meet that need by, what I, by, by that giving. Then I do it. And then I feel, man, yes, I feel good. I wanted to give to this guy, and I did. And if that's the way you feel, you feel you want to do it just by the obedience that's in your heart, man, thank you for that. If you are doing it out of uh, obligation, my brother, please um, go and just check your heart. Go and read the scripture. You are not obligated. And if you ever felt that we ever put you under any pressure to do this, um, it was never the intent of our heart, and that's not what we do. Amen. So, feel open, feel free, when it comes to giving, to do what, what you feel in your heart. But when it comes to your receiving, know exactly how we receive. And that is by what Jesus has done for us freely. Because He is a God that loves us. He's a God that doesn't... His, His whole rule over our lives is not marked by dominating, but by cherishing. Amen. His words over us is what blesses us and purifies us and gives us peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I, just, I would just like to talk a little bit about our Zambia trip again. <clears throat> I believe by the end of next week we will have our crusade report on and, and we're going to do it properly. It's going to be a nice crusade report for you to watch. But, man, my heart is still so full of what happened there and about reaching the lost, about seeing people getting established in the Word of Grace. And uh, for you, for, for those of you who didn't watch this last week, I would just like to repeat this, our vision, what we want to do in Zambia and how we want to go about. Uh, we got blessed with a vehicle. I don't know if I mentioned it last time. We got blessed with a 4x4 vehicle that we can take up and leave in Zambia. <coughs> now, the plan is then to go from South Africa. We fly to Lusaka. From there we get on a bus. And then we go to Mongu, which is about 600 kilometers 
um, west of uh, Lusaka, and there we will have a vehicle where we can drive around with. That vehicle has got, we've got a trailer that we pull behind it. Um, I've already got the trailer, and uh, we will rig it with sound, uh, nice sound system. We will rig it with generator, tents, um, all the equipment we need for camping, you know, uh, the stoves, everything we need. Uh, we, we will have it in the, in the trailer so that we, don't, we just take our clothes and we go to Zambia and then we've got everything there. Now, the plan is to equip leaders as a foundation. So, we're going out to Zambia at the moment. We are uh, implementing the five-minute Bible school, telling people about, um, you know, the unconditional love of God, teaching them the foundation of the, of the love of God. Those pastors that work with us, those that say, yes, I want to be a part of this and I love this and they correspond with us and they complete, uh, complete the course and, and or they, they're just actively involved in the course. They, they love it. We can see that they're getting a revelation of grace. We will go and help those pastors with a crusade. Um, and then, because, you know, so many times we've had crusades, people get saved. Then they slot into a Lord church. They get so condemned, then they leave church and they backslide again, going back to a sinful life. And that is such a, uh, a thing in their minds because they think, well, I have failed God. And then I've already tried the salvation thing, so why will I now try it again because it doesn't work? Um, and to get somebody that has fallen back is much more difficult than to get somebody that has never been a Christian to believe in Jesus. So we don't want that. We want a platform from where people can really... Uh, uh, gets slotted into a, ba- a grace-based church. So, um, for those of you that pray for this ministry, you can just pray for us in that along those lines as the Spirit of God leads you. And I want to encourage you, if you ever get a word from God, a prophetic word or a vision or something concerning our trips to Zambia, concerning our ministry, please send it to us. You know, we want to hear from you as a dynamic web church member what God tells you. You might have a, an idea or a plan or know about somebody or something that, you know, that can, we can benefit by. Please, share with us. We would like to hear from you. So, yes, we will go to Zambia. We will do it on that, on that basis. And then the vision is when we go and do crusades to do it not just as um, just me and my wife or our team, but to go as a, a bigger team, peop, getting people involved from all over the world, taking teams from um, different countries taking them, say, listen, we, we're taking five people or ten people um, on a go with us on a trip and they go from house to house or it will be hut to hut and hand out the pamphlets and uh, in, inviting the people to the crusade, preaching to the people, praying for the sick, getting them involved in mission work, practical work, practical mission work. And we will obviously not do that without equipping you thoroughly before you go. So there will also be a day or two or three where we will just equip you in the Word of God, lay hands on you, pray with you, and teach you how to pray for the sick and how to do all of that. Now, if you want to come on one of those trips, please contact us. Um, We are planning to have a trip in August, um, which will be more of a teaching trip. It will not be a crusade, it will be a teaching trip, but we will definitely, depending on how many people that want to go with on a trip like that, we can definitely get you involved in praying for people because lead, there will be leadership training in the morning and the evening we've got a, a nice meeting that's open for everybody and we get two, three hundred people coming to those meetings and then they need uh, people to lay hands on them, they need people to pray for them, prophesy over them because there's nobody that does that. So, 
it will be wonderful to have you guys there. If you want to know all the costs involved concerning a trip like this, please, please contact us. Amen. <coughs> right, we're going to go to the book of James. And, um, you know, we've, we've finished chapter 3. We're going to get into chapter 4. But I would just like to run quickly through chapter 3 again before we get into chapter 4. <coughs> it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that you shall receive a greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Now what he's saying to the people here, and you must remember it comes out of the context of chapter 2, where they had teaching but not um, works. And works speaking of believing in Jesus Christ and to do the Christian thing. They said they were Christians, but they were still keeping to the wisdom of the world. They were still keeping to the wisdom of... Um, you know, teaching the law, and many of them wanted to become teachers. Now, a little bit of background, the Jews though at that time were people that um, was, and there was a lot of them that wanted to be teachers. They became teachers of the law. Uh, a lot of them became Pharisees. They wanted to study, study the scriptures and then teach it to others. And then you would find um, different of these teachers of the law having disciples, their own disciples. So they would go and they would make disciples. And we see that also in Matthew 23 where Jesus said to them, you go over land and sea to make disciples. Um, so they went and they made disciples. They got people to believe in them. They were, they were teachers and it was opposed to be desired basically because you were so deep into um, studying the scriptures. And then they would start to have their own, um, how can I say, theology or wisdom on how to be saved. And the one guy would say, no, we should do it this way. And the other one, a little bit more to the other way. And they would have their own um, uh, uh, doctrines on how to get saved. And that would be out of their own wisdom. They would make up their own theories. That's the right word, theory. They would have their own theories. And now he would come and he would say to them, <clears throat> from this perspective, he says, listen guys, there are many people wanting to go around teaching this, teaching that. Many people saying that uh, we... You know, uh, um, we, are not, we are believing in Jesus, but they're still preaching the law. Then he said to them, let not many of you become teachers, because you're going to have a stricter judgment. It's, gonna, it's more difficult to be a preacher than to be a normal guy that just comes to church, or that's just, at that time it wasn't coming to church, because they were still preaching in the synagogues, and preaching in, in, at the temple, and around the temple, all those type of things. So, um, yes, so he said that is, it's more difficult. You'll have a stricter judgment. It's, it's a higher way of living, a more difficult life because of people. Because people will look at you, people will judge you for, the, for what you say. And then he talks about the, the responsibility of preaching. He says, for in many things we all offend. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to, to bridle the whole body. Behold, so what he's saying here, he says, listen, uh, uh, it, it, he, he says that it is actually very um, difficult to do all things right. But if you don't offend in word, then you'll be a perfect man. So what he was saying was that um, you will have to say everything right and do everything right in your teaching to be a perfect man. And then he says it's very important to know that this is a big role because your whole body, everything in your life is controlled out of the doctrine you believe, out of your theory. The Bible says what the heart is full of flows out of the mouth. 
the Bible says, um, keep yourself to the word of God, for um, out of your heart, because when the word goes into your heart, out of your heart, your belief system flows the force that drives your life. So what he was saying here is, listen, let not many be teachers. Let not many think that of your own theory, I can go and preach this now and think that that's going to bring salvation. No. Um, you need to know the gospel of grace. And you need to be a preacher of the gospel of grace. Now the context here was, uh, don't go and, and, and have your own theory based on the law. He says, behold, we put bits in um, horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, uh, which though they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, and yet they are turned about with a very small helm. Whosoever, um, wheresoever the governor listeth, even so the tongue is a little member, and boasts against great things, and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. So what he says is, your tongue, what you preach, what you believe, is going to influence your whole life. And he's not talking about the wisdom of Christ here. He's talking about the wisdom of people, the wisdom of the Jews, the wisdom of these Israelites, the wisdom of the Pharisees, the wisdom of the teachers of the law. He says, don't you be, want to become a teacher of the law? Because you need to be very, very clever to be a teacher of the law and to preach the grace of God from that law perspective. It can be done uh, if you see it all. But these people didn't. And they were just saying, well, I'm going to... Um, they might have been people that get saved and after they got saved they're very excited then they become a teacher of the law and I've seen that so many times I've seen people get saved um, in university this, this guy he would get saved and then he says no yeah I'm so glad I'm saved and, and he gets um, such a touch from God he starts to lead people to Jesus and then he wants to go to a theological college and study church doctrine <laughs> Man, that's a foolish thing to do. Go out and study church doctrines and laws made by people for many years and then after studying all of that, most of the people, they've lost all their fire. They need to be saved again because they became, became such teachers of the law. Now, I think that's the context that, or that's the, the idea that I get out of the scripture. And that's how these people go about. Now, we're going to now study the law and we're going to be preachers of the law. This is not directed to a good news believer that's received Jesus into his life, that's received the power of the Holy Spirit to go about sharing the message of grace. That's not what it's talking about. This is the context. Remember, the whole context of James chapter 1 is written in verse 1. Let me read it. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes. I want to say it again. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So, this is written to the twelve tribes of Israel. So, we must interpret it in the context of how those people lived and what they did. Hallelujah. Right. So, um, don't many of you want to be teachers? Remember, your whole life consists out of what you believe and speak. That's it. Now, this is not this positive confession thing again. You know, somebody asked me the other day, um, and I haven't gotten back to her, maybe she's watching today, the difference between Rhema and Logos. And uh, I always had it that Logos is God's logic placed into words. And, um, and Rhema was just what we say, or what uh, a literal word being spoken. And uh, we've, always been taught, we've always been taught that the Logos is the scripture, the letter that actually kills you, but um, the Rhema is the revelation word. And that is not the truth. 
It is not the truth. It's simply not the truth. Um, there's a teaching uh, that is a lot on the rhema word that says, what you say is what you have. And that's the word rhema. Whatsoever you say, you will have. Based on the logos, you know, which is God's logic. So if you've got God's logic, God's way of thinking inside you, whatsoever you say, that's the word rhema, you will have. So rhema is not the revelation word of the Bible. The logos is the revelation word of the Bible. That's what Logos means. Logos says it's a computation or a reasoning that's placed into words. It's an idea. So, that's the Logos of God. The Rhema is what you say. And then there was a teaching going around in the world that, you know, whatsoever you say in the name of Jesus, you're going to have. And whatsoever you say, you're going to have. Which is not the truth. Um, we must be very careful because many people fall into that trap thinking that whatsoever they say, they're going to have. <clears throat> whatever you say, you're not going to have whatever you say. The Bible says, if you, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So you need to believe and say before you can have. And then what you believe must have uh, substance. In other words, um, if a Muslim today comes and he says, now he believes that by just by his works he's going to be saved and he confesses that, guess what? He's believing and saying and he's not going to be saved. That's just the way it is. Some people might say badly, don't be a judge. You know, don't judge people. I'm not judging people. The Bible says those that don't believe in Jesus Christ is judged already. They condemned already. I'm not, I'm not the, the one that condemns. It is, the Bible says the very word that you don't believe is that which condemns you. Because you have to believe that word to, to be saved. There's only one way for salvation. That is Jesus Christ. And I don't, um, and the people might say, but what about the others? Um, I do believe that God is a God of compassion, a God of mercy, and that He does speak to people all the time. He's busy speaking to every person right now, at this moment, through a feeling, an emotion, an idea, a dream. In some way, there's something that can draw Him to a place where He can hear the gospel. And He sends people out all over the world, television stations, radio stations, Transworld Radio. There's, There's not a place on the planet where there's not a radio station preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is not such a place. You can go anywhere in the world, on the top point of, of, of a mountain, somewhere, nowhere, in the middle of the Himalayas, you can get a signal there, where the gospel is being preached. Now you might say, but I don't have a radio. Maybe that guy's friend's got a radio. Maybe that guy's friend has said, listen, listen to this, and, and that guy said, I don't want to. I do believe that God is a righteous God. God is not a God that just will send people to hell. He's not into the sending people to hell. He's into saving people. But the only way for salvation is Jesus Christ. Now, that's a bit off the point, but I want to say this. We don't have just what we say. That's nonsense. The Bible says, if you have the faith of God, and you say to this mountain, believing and not doubting, then you will have what you say which is based on the faith of God. In other words, you must be persuaded, the, be persuaded the way God is persuaded. And then, not doubt. Keep on believing like that. And then when you say, from the perspective of that faith, then you shall have what you say. But it's not this thing, this name and claim it, mark it and park it doctrine. That's, that came out of that drama revelation. The name and claim it, mark it and park it doctrine. That, and that's not life-giving. That's not. Um, Yes, it's a truth, but if it's any truth, if it's stretched too far, it becomes wrong. You cannot stretch a, stretch that thing too far and say, whatsoever I'm, I say, I will have. In Afrikaans, we will say, ach, frack man. You know, if you must translate it into English, it's actually say, ach, oh no, death man. 
you know, something like that. And then we will say, oh, that's just the way our Afrikaans people speak. Because, you know, it's, it's a, many people say to a certain extent it's a very negative language. You'd say it is dead hot or it's dead far. Or it's, if it, that's directly translated. People might say, but what a foolish language. Man, that's the way we talk and it's nice. But it doesn't mean if we say it is dead far that we're going to die. It's just a way of speaking. There's no faith behind that with all of our hearts that say we're going to die now on this trip. And what substance is there in the spirit that has happened that will cause death on that trip? You know, so um, please, it's, it's much easier to confess um, based on the faith of Jesus Christ and be blessed than what it is to confess something wrong and not be blessed. But we, that's, that's what we must realize. But that's not the context of this scripture when it talks about the mouth. These people were fully into law doctrine. That's what they were into. They were not practicing Christ, but teaching. That's what they were doing, thinking they were very wise. That's why chapter 1 says um, in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Because these guys were not asking God for wisdom. They were making up their own wisdom. And then teaching it. That's what they were doing. Right. He says, Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, and all those type of things. Then he talks about the tongue. Let's go to verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a, is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Now listen man, the tongue, now I'm going to say something opposite here, and don't be shocked and say, Alberti, you, you're contradicting scripture. It says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Now, that is not true. And it's true. In the context of this, this is true. But let me put, put it this way, the tongue, to them that believe grace, it is life. But to these people, it was a world of iniquity. And so many times we use this scripture and say, oh, you must watch what you say and, and be slow to anger and, 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 and don't, don't be angry and just listen and don't talk. And all of a sudden Christians feel under this condemnation thing that, oh, you know, I'm so scared to just say something. Listen, it's true. In this world, if you say things, then that what you say, you're going to give account. In front of people. It's the way it is. And the Bible says that we will also give account for every idle word we speak. And that's the context of these people. Because they were speaking idle words. An an idle word is a word, um, it is a bad person saying a good thing. That's basically it. It is saying what you're not. And that's what these people were busy with. And that's why he said to them, if you go and read on, um, just after this verse, he goes and he says, how can, how can you, with your mouth, bless God and curse people? Because what they were doing, and I've said this before, is they believed in God, say, God is one, we believe in God, and then curse the, curse the people that were not Jews. Saying they're not, they're dogs. Man, can you believe that? That's what they did. And then they said, then they said, they're preaching the grace message. Then they said that they are believing in Jesus. Then James said to them, your faith means nothing. Because you've got no works. You are stuck in the law and only under the name of Jesus. 
Now it says here, don't a fountain send forth the same, uh, uh, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries and um, a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt and fresh. So Jesus in Matthew 12 verse 36 said the same thing to the people. He says, how can you that are evil speak good things? You'll give account for every idle word you say. Don't think because you just say the good thing, but you don't believe the grace in your heart, you're going to be saved because you said the good thing. You need to believe what Jesus Christ has done. People, I want to say that to you. This is not a game, it's the truth. We need to believe in our hearts what Jesus has done for us. Without faith, no man can be saved. By just saying the good thing, but you believing the law in your heart, you cannot be saved. And I'm not, remember, the context here is not a Christian that has got a law area in his life. The Bible is clear on it. First Corinthians says that if, if, if I do things um, under the law and I teach that I will be saved, but my work will be burnt. So I'm not sending anybody to hell, but what I'm saying, people, is the Bible says, labor to enter into the rest, that we might be sure. Paul's attitude when it came, when it came to salvation, the resurrection of the dead, was, I want nothing to do with the law, because I want to be sure, because only by grace we are saved. I'm not going to... Uh, uh, Man, it's like he said in, further on, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is en- enmity with God? We cannot be friends with the world. The world, I'm not talking about drinking a, a glass of wine or doing something like that. I'm talking about that Jewish world, that law world, being a friend of the world, think you, you, you are friends with God? No, that's enmity. The Bible says, I brought enmity between her seed and your seed. The seed of Satan then, if you go and listen to the whole thing about the fulfillment of the law, talks about the doctrine of the law. There's enmity between the law doctrine, the doctrine of by what I do I become, and the doctrine of grace. There's enmity. It's just the way it is. So, let's give ourselves completely and fully to the message of grace. In every area of our lives, completely, fully, 100%, no compromise. Amen. That's the way. I believe we should live. Now, these guys were not even considering what I've just said now. They were just flat on into the law, hammering it that way, and even teaching it. Then he says, listen, and I want to continue verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defiles the whole body, and that sets on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire of hell. Now, what he was talking to these people about, he said to them, remember, if you go and read from chapter 1, you will see that they were already fighting and being angry with each other. Then he said to them in chapter 1, the anger of a man does not work the righteousness of God. Why were they angry with each other? Why were they fighting with each other? Because of the law that they were preaching. Because what they were preaching, the doctrine they were preaching, was setting on course the fire of nature, or the course of nature. So what they believed was a world of iniquity, it came forth, it defiled their whole body, and it was setting on course, the, uh, setting on fire the course of nature, and that was set on fire of hell. Now we can connect that to Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 8, where Paul said, I didn't know sin unless the word said, You shall not desire. And the moment he said, You shall not desire, Paul said that he knew, he started new concupiscence. Now concupiscence is an abnormal, lustful desire 
for women. That's what Paul was struggling with. When he came under the law that says you shall not desire. So, and then Paul says that um, sin in me is activated and that sin finds its nature or its way by the law. So here he says that your tongue was igniting the cause of nature. So that's a proof that the, the doctrine that Paul was talking about here, that word tongue is not just talking about the physical tongue. I studied in the Greek, it's, it speaks of the physical tongue, which I believe is most of the context of this. But it also implies the rest of it, which means a language. The Bible says, and they spoke with other tongues. That's the King James language. They spoke with other, other tongues. We can also translate that. And the language you speak is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is, so is a tongue that you've got, the, the tongue that you use. It's the same thing. It will set on fire the course of nature. The tongue that, that Paul was... There was two tongues in the Bible. I'm not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. There's two tongues. The, the one of the law and the one of grace. Two languages. Two messages. The one of the law and the one of the Spirit. The one of grace. So, what caused Paul to have sin revive in his life? He says, uh, when I was under the law, when I knew the commandment, I died and sin revived. And that was exactly what these guys were, 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 were busy with. Then he says, every beast of the field, every serpent, everything can be tamed. But the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, the Father, and therewith we curse man. So what he says is, we can tame every animal, but we cannot tame the tongue. What he's saying by that is, by your own wisdom that you want to preach, it's impossible to be saved. You cannot. You cannot get your doctrine so right by works, because that's the context, that you shall be saved by it. You cannot control your tongue 100% perfect to be blessed if it comes by your works. You cannot do it that way. It's impossible. And you might say, but here the Bible says, um, you know, we, we should do things right. Now, this is speaking against each other because if you just read on, listen to this, Therewith we bless God the Father, therewith we curse men which are made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So what he's saying, he says, you cannot tame the tongue, but it's not supposed to be so. <laughs> it's like me telling you, listen, you cannot live a tongue with your own hands, but it's not supposed to be so. So it's impossible. What he was telling these people, you come, you want to be masters, you want to be teachers of the law, and by what you teach, you want to have perfection. Then he said, you cannot tame your tongue enough. Out of what you teach and out of the doctrine you preach, you find the course of nature actually being set alight in your lives. And that's where trouble starts to happen. And he says, this wisdom that you have, you should, in the context of chapter 1, ask God wisdom. Because they weren't asking God wisdom. They were thinking up their own wisdom by simply just reading scriptures. Because if they had the wisdom of God, it would have been peaceable. But the wisdom they had was not peaceable. He says, listen, you, you, the way you live, is, is, it shows that you are under the law. Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of the good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So what he was saying is, if your wisdom works, then you want to see the fruit of that wisdom. But you've got, you are so wise, 
in your own way, but you are killing each other, you are backbiting each other. And I'm not talking, listen, these guys were serious when it came to these things. They were really, really fighting. And that we see that a lot in churches today as well. So the, the cause, the reason for most of these fightings in churches is the wrong doctrine. Okay. But if you have bitter envy, listen, bitter envy, he's not talking about envying a little bit, he talks about bitter envy, where you've got a bitterness and a hate inside your heart, and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom that you have, that's producing these things, are not from above, but it's earthly, sensual and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above, in other words, the, the Jesus Christ's wisdom, the wisdom that says, not by what I do, but by what is done for me, is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, easy to int- be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. These people were partial, they were hypocrites, they were um, saying the rich sit here, the poor sit there, they were into... Uh, who's important, who's not important, heavily into those things. It's because of a law mentality. And we can bring this to the church today. You get a lot of people thinking they're much better because they're an elder or much better because they're a pastor or anything like that, thinking that they are of higher value. You know, and you get this hierarchy thing coming. And that's just because of a wrong doctrine, because of because the, because people start to struggle with the very same thing here. No, that's just the way it is. It's like I said to a person the other day. Um, the guy said to me, he doesn't work for a boss. I said to him, now, wh- what's your definition of a boss? My definition of a boss is people that is willing to serve people by providing them with a job. And to set forth a system by which they can safely do what they do and that that business will continue. That cares for them. But sometimes you've got a wrong understanding of these things. If we, from a grace perspective, start to see church... We will not have a wrong understanding. We will be at peace. Amen. But these guys, they weren't having a grace perspective. They were having a law perspective. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. All the things they didn't have. Easy to be entreated. They didn't believe in being gentle. They believed in if you're wrong, you're punished. It wasn't peaceable. It wasn't promoting peace between God and man. It was promoting you are wrong if you don't do this thing right. And easy to be entreated. It was not easy to get it right. You have to, it was, um, for, under the law, it wasn't easy. Full of mercy and good fruits. It was not full of mercy. Their teachings weren't full of mercy. Without partiality. They had partiality. They had hypocrisy and all those type of things. That's why I believe the writer James quoted these things. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now these people were not making peace. They were just fighting all the time. Okay, now listen to verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. From where come war and fighting among you? Come they not from your lust that war in your members? Now the lust that war in the members is that which is activated under the law mentality. So he says, why are you fighting? Talking to these teachers, these people want to be teachers, these, these Jews. He says to them, why are you fighting like that? Doesn't it come and he's now... Actually telling them how absurd their doctrine is and how fruitless their doctrine is and how stupid it is. They can just leave it because it doesn't work. He says, why are you fighting? does not come from the lust that war in your members. Let's go to uh, Romans 7. And I also want to go to 1 Timothy. Let's just see the scripture in 1 Timothy that I want to read. Um, 
I, I was just thinking of it now. Here it is. Yes. First Timothy chapter 1 from verse 5. <clears throat> now listen to this. And this is, this is now the writing of Paul. It's not the writing of, of James. But it's, it's, it will explain a lot what James is talking about. Because the very same thing that James was talking about here was happening, was the going thing, going around amongst the Jews at that time. And we just see how Paul now handled it. And, and that was the way James handled it. This is Paul's handling. He says, Now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unframed, from which some having swerved, and have turned aside to vain jangling or vain teaching. Listen, the, the, these are Christians that believed, then they went away. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Now, man, I'm going to say it now. Uh, 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 please forgive me, but this is just the way I, I want to say this. So like I said, the people get saved. Then they want to go and study for a duomeny. Man, why do you want to do that? Preach the gospel of grace. Because, oh, they want to get saved. I'm still calling it now a duomeny or a reverend. It's like getting saved, then you want to be, go and study something that you know for sure and that most people know and has been proven as a law-death system. You know, teaching doctrines of the law. Now, I'm not going against the church. I'm just talking about that principle because that's what's happening here and in First Timothy. Here. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. So these guys, they, were, they became students of the law. They didn't use the law lawfully. Now, using the law lawfully, no, one knows that the law is not for a righteous man. This is what it says, verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners. So, what happened was, the law was made for the unsaved. Now, if we use the law lawfully, it's right. That means the lawful use of the law is for the sinners. But now these guys want to go and study the law. And it's not even for them. Now, James comes with the very same thing here. He says, listen guys, and then by the Jews, that was called great wisdom. Look how wise he is, you know. So, because he knows all these scriptures and these things and, and, and you pray this way and twist the prayer just this way and make the tossels a bit longer, then God's going to answer your prayer. You know, that type of things. Man, that's <laughs> hypocrisy. And now, we laugh at that today, but at that time, it was a great thing to do. We've just changed it in, in, in this time. You know, this time we say, um, you know, if, if one man prays, God's not going to answer him, but if we get a stadium full of people, then, then it's going to be wonderful. If the president can declare the country as a Christian country, then the nation is going to be blessed. Techeluba in Zambia uh, named the country a Christian country. The only known Christian country in the world. Only declared a Christian nation. You know what? Nothing changed. Nothing changed. It was just some worldly wisdom again. You know, um, if this guy, if the president of the country, then if the, the country is going to change. It's not true. 
is not true. Everybody needs to believe Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Hallelujah. If you believe in Jesus, it's for you, you're saved. Bless God. There's no secret recipe on how to get a country saved. There's, it's simple. We preach the gospel and those who believe, they are saved. If everybody in the country believes, then the whole country will be saved. If nobody in the country's be- country believes, then the country is not saved. That's just as simple as that. But then we've got this same type of wisdom into things today where we twist things and things are not just... Uh, um, uh, th- we twist things and it becomes law. Again, exactly like these people. It says, they were in the grace, then they fell away desiring to be teachers of the law, not knowing what they say or what they affirm. And that's what happened to these people in James. They were not knowing. That's why he's saying to them, listen, don't many be teachers, for you don't know what you're saying. For you are setting alight the cause of sin and nature in your life by the very thing you desire to do for God. Killing yourselves. You don't know what you stand for. You don't know what you affirm. You are affirming death. That's what they're affirming. That's what they're saying in in chapter 4. It says, From where come war and fighting among you? Do they not come from the lust that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war and you have not because you ask not. Now, I do believe we can also connect this asking not for, or just, the, 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 the connection here is not just stuff, it's also the wisdom. Wisdom of God. Okay? You lust and you have not, you kill and you desire to have, and you cannot obtain. Now listen, this was the way these people lived. We can't connect this just to normal Christians today. These people were killing others, man. They kill. They, they had such a desire. To obtain by doing things right. Then they don't get it right. Then they see another guy. Gonna get it right. Then he kills that guy. They were murderers man. Then they take that very same law they preach. They use it against that other person. To make him a sinner. Because maybe he'll attain it. Get it. So let's kill him. We see it in the, in the life of Jesus Christ. Of Paul. When Jesus was doing things right. And people were following Jesus. They weren't thinking. The Pharisees weren't thinking. Well let's repent and believe Jesus. They were, they were having this problem. They were asking. They wanted miracle power. They wanted people to follow them. They wanted all those type of things. But, but they could never attain it. And when they saw somebody getting it, they killed him. Murderers. Then he said to them, he's writing it to them, this is not for the church, this is not for me and you. This is for people that are so under the law that they murder others. That's who this is written for. From where does war come and fighting come among you? Can they not... Uh, uh, from um, your own lust that wars in your members you lust and you have not you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain you fight and war yet you have not because you ask not what did they ask they were not asking of God they were trying to work it out themselves and those that ask they ask and they receive not because they ask amiss that they might consume it upon their lust so that asking is actually based on the lust it's not it's based on the thing that comes from the law. The law brings a desire, and out of that desire I ask. No, no, that's not the way we're supposed to ask. When we ask, we inquire as if it has been provided in Jesus Christ from a platform of grace, with the faith of God. Then we receive. Because we don't have a guilty conscience, because we know our sins has been paid for, because we know that we obey the commandments, and this is His commandment that we believe on Christ. 
That's how we ask as a Christian. Let me just touch that again. How do we ask as a Christian? As a Christian, we ask from the platform of grace. These people were asking from the platform of lust. They were lusting. Oh God, give me many followers. That's what they were asking. And they asked that because there was a lust inside them that said, if I've got many people that follow me, then I'm something. Because they, and that lust was born out of the doctrine of the law. That's what they were saying. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers, uh, adulterers and adulteresses. Now you're not that friendship. Now this is not talking about adultery with, with, um, uh, uh, men with women and all of that. He says, now you're not that friendship with the world or adultery with the world is enmity with God. He was saying, you're an adultery man. You are having a relationship with the law while you want while you are married to Christ. How can you do that? Now you don't deceive because you lust after the law and you're asking God to provide the law things for you. He cannot do that. It's impossible. That's why you don't receive. And now Christians come, they read this and they want to connect this directly to their love relationship with God that they have from a grace platform. You cannot do that. That's abusing your relationship with God. That's twisting scripture, getting it out of context, not the way it really is. Right. Hallelujah. We've got five minutes to go. Verse 5. Verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit dwells, uh, that spirit dwelleth in us lust to envy? Now what he's saying in the message says so beautifully, do you think that God doesn't care? He cares about this, man. He cares about this thing that you are not in the grace of God, that you're under the law. Now you're back under the law. Now he comes and he rebukes them. And he says to him, do you think that God doesn't care if you're under the law? He cares. That's why he says, but uh, um, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy, but, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, what he was saying here, and then he says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, what he was saying here, he says, listen, guys, God is coming here and he says to you that he cares, he's giving grace to you. God cares. That's why He gives grace. Why do you want to go back under the law? Because God's a caring God. That's why He gives grace. Submit yourselves to the grace of God, which is called the mighty hand of God. Amen. Submit yourselves to the grace of God. Then He says, resist the devil. What is the devil? The devil is not sickness, disease, poverty, that. That's not what he's talking about. The devil was these teachings that they were teaching. And to be tempted to teach it. Resist Satan. Because that's what Satan was doing. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Now so many times we're teaching that in the, in the church. You know, start to live a bit more holy, you know. As you draw nigh to God, he's going to do something to you. No, no. These guys were pushing away from God by teaching the law and then not experiencing God, becoming angry. 
Then he says, draw nigh to God. Come closer to the message of grace. And you will then experience the closeness of God. Because it's only under the message of grace. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. They were double-minded. Therefore the hands were... How do we cleanse our hands? How do we purify our, our hearts? By believing grace. That's just what he's saying right there. Believe in the grace of God. Then your hands will be clean and your hearts will not be double-minded anymore, but it will be straightforward. Hallelujah. He says, you be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. What he was saying to them is, their laughter, they were laughing because they had all this wisdom. Mourn about that. Because that's killing you. And what causes you to be happy under the law? Because you were happy if you were better and all of that. Let that whole thing not be joy to you. Let it not be joy to you. Call that wrong. Amen. Then it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. So, we're going to end off there. Um, and then we'll continue from verse 10 next, uh, in the next, se- next Sunday. But people, what we can do is we can open our hearts and say, Lord, we are seeing the lives of the, the 12 tribes that were scattered, that the law was killing people. And we also see, as we hear and understand this gospel of grace, that the, every scripture is grace-based, if it's correctly interpreted. We can see that even the very almost impossible for years people struggle to understand the book of James. Scriptures can be seen in grace and it can edify people. Thank you my God. And this is what I think we can say. Thank you my God that in every area of life I know you're a gracious God. And I don't have to worry if I don't understand one or two scriptures. The fact that Jesus Christ did it is enough for me. And I will read it and the scriptures will make sense in my life. You know, I've, I went and I studied this book of James um, and I got the, the, the revelation of this this year. And I've been in the grace of God, preaching the grace of God since end of 95, beginning 1996. So that is 10, 12, a good 10-12 years. Now I'm not saying that's how long it should take. But what I say is, um, that's how long it took me. It, it's not taking you long. Maybe you got into grace this year and I've been teaching it to you right now. So it takes you a month, a year. You know, so it's, but there is a place as you understand more of the grace of God that more is revealed as you study it. But when we ask wisdom, we ask of God. Amen. God, I want your wisdom. When I ask of God, I say, God, I want the wisdom of Jesus. I want to see the cross. That's asking wisdom of God. I want to know the wisdom of God. I don't want to know my own wisdom. That's the way we do it. Amen. I would like to pray for you. If there's any of you that is sick, I just believe that the healing power of God is here. If any of you feel um, your heart is sore, you feel condemned or anything, you don't have to. I'm going to pray for you right now. I believe the love of God is going to touch your heart. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be encouraged right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would like you to put your hand where your sickness is. If you just feel depressed or anything, put your hand on your heart. I'm stretching my hand to the camera. And uh, that's just a sign. But in the Spirit, I'm right there with you. In the room where you are. The power of God is within me as I speak and believe from the, with the faith of God. 
we're going to see your miracle. Because God believes that by the stripes of Jesus you are healed. I've got that faith. It's not by your works. And we believe that. We rest our minds in that and we speak it. And then it happens. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus, I stretch forth my hand to every person that's listening to my voice today. And I say to you, you are the blessed of God. You are healed. You are touched. Your life is changed right now. I bring complete healing and I bring complete restoration to every person right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I say you are healed now. Every sickness, back ache, leg problems, pain, all pain. I see somebody, a lot of pain over here. God is healing you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. By the power of God, I bring complete restoration and I take that pain away. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I also see somebody with their legs, the muscles, painful. I remove all that pain in the mighty name of Jesus.